Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hello, Mind Valley fans, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Valley podcast with Vishen Lakiani. This is a fascinating one. It started out as a conversation between me and Dr. Dane here, who wrote the book, Return of the Gentleman. And the whole essence of this podcast was going to be about Dane's book, which is really the art of being a gentleman in today's world. Dane says that men today exist often at two polar ends of a spectrum. They are assholes or they are way too soft. And he talks about what are the qualities? How do we show up in the world as men with a balance so that you're not a pushover, but you're not an asshole either? It's a very relevant conversation in today's world. And Dane does say that although this conversation is primarily for men, many women would also find this interesting. So anyway, that's how we started. But about 30 minutes into the conversation, I bring up a particular topic in Dane's book, which is his use of what he calls clearing statements. So again, he wrote a book called Return of a Gentleman. But in this book, there's something really unique. He uses what sounds almost mystical, clearing statements to help you heal beliefs. And I was fascinated by this. So we start discussing clearing statements, altering consciousness, communicating with alternate realities to rapidly shift our reality. And that's where we steer the conversation. So you're going to find this particular podcast fascinating. The first 30 minutes might be relevant only for you if you're a man, if you're a curious woman and you want to find out what are some of the issues that men are facing with in terms of how we show up in the world, you're going to find this interesting too. And if you want to jump ahead to the section on clearing statements, just skip ahead 30 minutes from where I am right now and you'll be there. So without further ado, let's get started with Dr. Dane here. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Dane, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Thanks for having me, Vishen. Great to be with you. So, your book is pretty intriguing Return of the Gentleman. In your words, how do you define a gentleman? Well, it's really simple. A gentleman is somebody who likes the person looking back at him from the mirror and doesn't have to prove that he's something he believes he's not. And he's also somebody who looks for ways to contribute to the people around him in the world to make it a greater place. I found the book intriguing because you share certain ideas which are unconventional. You give people sort of a roadmap on what it is to be a gentleman in this era, but you also bring in a lot of spirituality in a profound way. So give us a roadmap. Like, what do we need to be paying attention to? What do we need to be looking at as a man in the world today? Well, so many things. And unfortunately, the depth into which I can go into it might be limited based on, you know, our time that we have. But the roadmap really is to get out of judgment of ourselves and other people and to shrug off all of the stuff, all the stereotypes that we bought about what it means to be a man, about the alpha male stereotype that is so valuable. Because we have this 
sense in the world right now, and I say we've had it for a very long time, you know, men have had an identity issue for quite a long time. You know, many years ago, a man knew he went to work and he provided for the family and that was his job and the woman's job was this. You know, we hear that nowadays and we're like, oh my God, that was so Stone Age. And it's like, yes, (laughs) you know, thank goodness things are changing, but we need to have a different conversation about where does the man fit into this conversation? Also, where does a woman fit into this conversation? But men used to have an idea of who they are and what was expected of them. And they knew that that was who they were and they could be that. Well, things have changed so dynamically now that we have people who are like the sensitive guys in the world, these really caring guys who feel like they don't want to be that alpha male. They don't want to be the man that, you know, is unkind, mean, abusive to women and validative of women. And at the same time, they don't really have a voice for how can I be this sensitivity? How can I be this awareness? How can I also be attracted to women and have their back? And so what this is about is actually getting to the place where we recognize the stereotypes. And in the book is tools to shrug them off and undo the points of view you bought about what it was to be a man and put you into the question of what kind of man can I be? What kind of man would I like to be? And one of the things that I see in the world right now is this thing where people believe they can either be an alpha male or a snag, a sensitive new age guy, where you know they become a doormat. And so what I'm here to say is, look, you can actually be all of it. You can be attracted to women and like having sex with women and still fight for women's rights. You can be kind and caring to women and kind and caring to your male friends, and you don't have to shut off any of it. You get to be it all if you're willing to, but you got to do the work. So you coined the word snag in your book, sensitive new age guy. Describe that. What exactly is that? Well, that is the man that is so interested in not hurting anybody's feelings, so interested in never raising his voice, never doing anything that the typical alpha male would do, if we put it in those terms, that he becomes a doormat to everybody around him. And, you know, he's the type of person that if he's looking to have a relationship with somebody, he often gets put in the friend category because he's just so nice. But a lot of these guys, it's not actually a reality for them to be just that, but it's a resistance to being what women have said that men are, that they don't want to be that kind of man. And so a lot of these guys that turn into sensitive new age guys They actually have a lot of potency. They actually have a lot of suctionists. They have a lot of capacity to create. But in the endeavor to never be that forceful person that they think men are, they go to the other side. And a lot of times they're not highly creative. They tend to be highly emotional for no reason. And they tend to be very in massive amounts of judgment of themselves and in judgment of them for being a man. So that's one side of the spectrum. What's on the other end? Is that the alpha male? Is that the asshole? Yeah. And that's basically what it is. You know, we have asshole or we have doormat. And these are what have been presented to men as, okay, which one are you going to be, an asshole or a doormat? You know, (laughs) no. Describe the asshole. Well, we have so many examples of asshole in our world right now. I mean, the U.S. president would be a great example. And I don't mean that even politically. I just mean from a behavioral standpoint. And is somebody who's domineering over other people, who believes that their only strength is having power over others, They're not willing to have a conversation with anybody. They're only willing to use force. And it's about how rich they are and how much they can control other people that is their value in the world. And the other part about that, though, and I think this is vital, is there's absolutely no question in their world about how they could become greater or should I desire to change any of this. And so that's a crucial part of the difference between the asshole 
and the doormat, because the doormat is usually, they have their conclusions too, but they're oftentimes going, wait a minute, isn't there something different possible? And that question changes your world because when you start to look for, is there something different possible, you start to find it. It's just most people aren't asking. So you have the snag on one end, the sensitive new age guy, you have the asshole on the other end of the spectrum. Where should men be playing? What is that ideal medium? Well, I say you want to be able to play it all. You want to be able to play every instrument in the orchestra. You want to be able to access every color of the friggin' rainbow and every energy in the spectrum. So what that requires is for us to not be in judgment of us as we are, not be in judgment of us for our actions. But also when we screw up, we're willing to go, hey, I'm really sorry. I screwed that up. What can I do to make up for the damage done? Or you're right. I'm wrong. What can I do to make up for the damage done? And so once again, rather than trying to get in the middle, which is another place where now we're judging the right, now we're judging the left, and we can only walk on this tiny little tightrope called life. This is like, forget the middle, be able to access it all. Because let's face it, there's sometimes where you need to be an asshole. If you're in business with somebody and they're starting to screw you, it's time to bring out your asshole. And the sense of new age guy doesn't have that choice. But the gentleman does, but he doesn't do it from, I'm going to go be an asshole now. He does it from, here's what's being presented to me. How do I address this and how do I change this? And that really becomes a gentleman's point of view. Here's what's being presented. How do I address this? How do I change this to create the greatest result? But then beyond that, it's not about being reactive in the world. It's actually about being proactive where it's like, okay, what else would I like to create in the world and how do I get there? And a gentleman always knows they have other choices available. And they always know it can actually get better. Now, what would that look like in the world of dating? In the world of dating, it has many aspects. For example, one of the things that the sensitive new age guy does is he cuts off his sexualness, his, well, his body's aliveness, number one, but also his desire or willingness to have sex with somebody. Now, what's interesting is, you know, we all know the stories of women who were like, you know, I want to be with the bad boy because he turns me on. This other guy is just a friend. But part of the reason for that is the bad boy's like, I'm being me and you take it or leave it. And they're not necessarily the nicest guys on the planet. But the one thing that they do have going for them is they're being who they are. And so where this shows up in dating is where you actually are who you are and you don't make an apology for you being you. You know, be as weird and quirky as you actually are. That doesn't mean you tell somebody everything on the first date. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you just be the thing that you are and you don't hide it and you don't make an apology for it. I also have to say there's so many caveats with this because people take it and they put it into one box. And what I'm trying to do is destroy all the boxes so we can see what's actually there outside the box. But at the same time, I'm not saying that in the not making an apology for who they are, that doesn't mean they just go do whatever they want to anybody and it's just fine. No, they're highly aware of how their actions, how their words affect other people. They're also highly aware of how their actions and words affect themselves and the effect that it creates in the world. So it's not free license to go be an asshole. It's more like when you start to realize what effect your choices, your words, your actions have on other people, you start to become much less of an asshole because you're like, ooh, that wasn't very kind. And so if we go back to dating, so the gentleman is there. They have a sense of liking themselves. They have a sense of getting interest in finding out more about the woman or the man that they're interested in. And what they do is they ask the person questions to find out what's true for them. And they don't twist themselves. They don't create this false persona of who they are. 
and they don't create this false image of who they are. They actually be who they are in the conversation and they're very authentic and they're not trying to make the other person right or wrong. And the other thing is one of the things that occurs for a lot of us guys, if we're going out with somebody, we would really like to have sex. That's one of the reasons guys are willing to come out of the cave and spend time with other people. But what are the things I've seen so many guys do that don't actually have this awareness of gentlemen so dynamically in the world is like, oh, cute girl. Now my job for tonight is to have sex with her. And no, you go out and you go, my job for tonight is to have a good time, get to know as much about this person as possible and see if there's any chemistry there. Because even if it's just going to be a sexual relationship or is just that for you and for her, let's say she agrees, it's like there's got to be something there that actually connects you. There's got to be some energy between you. And so the job is no longer I must get her in bed to prove that I have value. You already know you have value. Now it's like, okay, let's see what this person's about. Will it be fun? And will it be easy? Will I learn something? Will I be happier afterwards? And will they be grateful? So that actually was a list that you wrote about in your book, a simple set of questions a man should ask himself before going to bed with someone. Could you repeat those questions? I thought that was a really wonderful list. Thank you. The list came about because of my own stupidity for so many years in choosing situations that did not work out well. And so what I realized is if you ask these questions, will it be easy? Will it be fun? Will I learn something? Will I be happier afterwards? And will they be grateful? See, when you ask a question, it opens up a different doorway of your awareness. And so until you ask the question, you keep that door shut. And a lot of us don't ask questions because we want to keep the door shut because we've decided we want to go there. When you ask the question, like, will it be easy, for example, if you get a no, don't go there. Because we've all had experiences in our lives, whether they're sexually or otherwise, where it wasn't easy and it was an ongoing thing that sucked the energy out of our life. And the difference between a gentleman and somebody else is they will actually make choices that contribute energy to their life. They don't need to continuously engage with people and get involved in people's worlds that drag them down continuously before they can find a way to break it off. And these questions are a great way to get the awareness before you go there. But you have to ask this before you're in the middle of hot and heavy, you know, before your little brain is doing the thinking for you, that's when you ask those questions. So you cover this topic in a variety of different books. And you also talk about the dangers of alpha male mentality. Tell us about that. Well, the alpha male mentality is what we're talking about with the asshole who everything is all about them. Everything has to be directed toward them. They're never looking to contribute to anybody else. They're not looking to make the world a greater place. They're only looking to make the world a place that is greater for them. And they will basically step on anybody's head. Sexually, it's all about them. And this is the sort of extreme of alpha male where it becomes a limited point of view. There are times, once again, where you need to be an alpha male, where you need to take charge, but you don't do it from that asshole perspective, basically, that doesn't include anybody's input, doesn't take anybody else into account. You may need to be the leader in certain situations. And in fact, one of the other aspects of a gentleman from my point of view is they're actually a leader in every area of their life. And for me, a leader is somebody who knows where they need to go, whether anybody else follows or not. And so we want to be this continuously, but the alpha male takes it to this place where it is only about them and their point of view. They never allow anybody else's point of view to contribute. This opens up so many interesting patterns for us to recognize. I'd love for you to talk about the role of men, the characteristics of the gentleman 
in different environments. So we've touched a bit on Dayton, but let's talk about the office. What does that gentleman embody? How does that gentleman come across in his working style with women? Well, it's interesting because it's with women and men, which is interesting. And let's face it, there are few men choosing to be true gentlemen at this point. But the gentleman in an office is somebody that everybody in the office, except the most judgmental of people, but by and large, the idea is everybody respects him. He's somebody that you know that will not just take one point of view, but he'll find out both sides of the issue. He's somebody that you feel like you can trust, telling whatever's going on for you. You can tell him anything because he's not in judgment of you, because he's not in judgment of himself, because he doesn't feel like he has anything to hide, because he's actually got a sense of himself. And so it's the person that a lot of times people will rally behind. And you know, if he has an idea, it's probably a good idea, or at least something worth checking out, because he's one of the few people that actually has a sense of himself, but doesn't use it to domineer over others. He's got a sense of himself, and he doesn't need to be the loudest voice. He doesn't need to be right. He's also willing to see when something is better than what he suggested and do that instead. So these are some of the aspects of a gentleman in the workplace. In your book, you mentioned a couple of tools for dealing with competition and conflict. You also speak about how being a gentleman means not seeing yourself in competition with other men, right? Let's talk about some of those tools. Yes. Well, the first thing you have to recognize is that other men are not competition unless we make them so. Now, we also have to realize that other men may compete with us, but we don't have to compete back. And part of the reason for me creating this book and starting this conversation is because I saw so many men that could get together and contribute to each other that instead were competing because that's what they learned as little boys and teenage boys. And if you go back into our historical record, we'll talk about the fact that we're competing for women and it's biological and all that. Well, okay, cool. What choice do we have beyond it? And so we need to recognize that the competition between men is not making us greater. It's not making the other person greater. And there is a different possibility beyond it where we contribute to each other. But we also have to realize that there are several men that may not even be willing to have that. But if we have our own back, then that will allow them to receive it if they're willing to receive it. So really, it's about us having our back and not doing competition, actually with anybody, other men or women, and realize that we're not in this thing competing for women. And one of the things that I found, I had a couple of good friends growing up and, you know, we'd go out and we were looking for girls and all this sort of stuff. And what would happen is there'd be three of us a lot of times, three and sometimes four. But one of the guys was always like, no, I'm going to get her. And he was somebody who was trying to prove that he had value because he was not somebody who was told he had value in his home environment. So he was always trying to prove how cool he was by getting the cutest girl or the one everybody else wanted. And I had another friend who, whenever we went out and whenever we were with him, we would talk to each other and we'd see this cute girl and I'd go, okay, so more you, more me. Like, who does this person energetically vibe with better? And we would do this. And it's like, I still consider that guy one of my best friends to this day because we dissolve the walls of competition. And what you don't realize is the walls of competition can only exist as long as we're holding up one part of it at least for you. Now, somebody else may decide to compete continuously, but you watch them kind of like a dog, you know, chasing its tail. And you're like, okay, if you want to, and you'd go, Hey, you know what, just so you know, I'm here. I have your back. 
And when you're not doing the competition, you start to do things that are based in kindness toward other guys. And most guys, it freaks them out at first. But then if you do it twice and then a third time, usually by the third time, they're like, why are you doing this for me? Why are you being so nice to me? And the greatest gift you can give somebody is to put them in question. Because when they're in question, now their universe can open up to something different. And that's part of being that leader as a gentleman that we can be if we choose. So what are some great ways to build friendships with other men? First is ask them questions about them. And one of the things I would so love everybody to have, men, women, everybody, and this really applies in this particular case, is to develop an interest in people. Most of us, were looking to be interesting rather than interested. And what happens is when you start to ask somebody a question like, hey, how long have you been here? Oh, really? Where'd you move from? Where'd you grow up? Oh, what was that like? I mean, really simple, basic questions. That one thing starts to dissolve the walls between you and somebody else more than almost anything else. And it's so simple. You know, and we think it's small talk. And I remember a course I had in college where it was a communications course. And the first line the lady said to me, I'll never forget it. She said, small talk is the lubricant that greases the wheels of interpersonal communication. And I was like, that's friggin' brilliant. Because, you know, we ask some questions about them, the walls start to come down. And you may be the only person in their life that has any interest in them. And what they're going to do then is start to come out of the shell. And then don't abandon them mid conversation, you know, be willing to have a conversation with them. But that one thing I've seen change more than almost anything else. That's beautifully said. Now, let's flip that around. What about friendships with women? I'm not talking about dating. I'm talking about just friendships with women. What type of role does the gentleman play? What type of characteristics does the gentleman display in his friendship with other women? It's very similar. And this is the interesting thing is that a gentleman doesn't have a distinction in how they treat men or women. Although, of course, let's talk about the friendship aspect, where they tend to be the person that the woman knows will have their back no matter what. They tend to be the person that in a difficulty is like, how can I contribute? And they also tend to be the person that will actually talk to the woman and ask her questions about herself and be that space of no judgment that allows her to vent whatever she has to and be that person that you know she may come to with this deep, dark secret that she's been holding on to that she can't tell anybody else quite literally from her point of view. And you be that for them. And that also creates this deepening. It's like, if you have a really great friend, a lot of what that has been based on for somebody who is interested in getting to know themselves better is shared experiences that you have where you have told them things, they know things about you, but neither one of you is judging each other. And so you be that space of non-judgment in their world, but also you receive the gift of them. Like, why have a friend if it doesn't make you happier when you're around them? And so it's like you receive the gift that they are too, and it contributes to you too. It's not just about giving, giving, giving. It's about a flow, a simultaneity of gifting and receiving with that person. So you co-authored a book, and I want to go here, even though it's a different book, but I found this idea interesting. It's called Divorceless Relationships, and you co-authored that with Gary Douglas. Now, in that book, you talk about how very often we give up a piece of ourselves so that we can be in a relationship with someone else, but that this is really unhealthy. What do you mean by a divorceless relationship? Well, a divorceless relationship is where you don't have to give up any part of you to have the relationship. And it's interesting because it dovetails perfectly with the idea of being a gentleman, 
And it doesn't mean that you never do something somebody else wants. That's not it. What it means is you don't divorce any part of what is actually essential for you to have as the person, as the being that you are, in order to make somebody else's world okay. And one of the things I see in so many relationships is people will give up their friends to have the relationship. They'll give up the things that they did for their body. They stop working out. They stop dancing. They stop running. You know, they stop doing the things that were these sources of energy that were nurturing to them and contributing to them. And they also start cutting off any point of view that doesn't match their partners as though they can't have a different point of view. And so divorceless relationship is about creating a relationship where you don't have to cut off any of what's true for you and your partner doesn't have to be on board and buy it. They don't have to go to the gym with you. They don't have to go to your mother's house with you. But it's like where you actually get to be contributed to even more rather than cutting off parts and pieces of you. Now, how do we move in that direction? Because I know so many people, including myself, who I think do that in some degree in our relationship. And how do we do yeah. that without seemingly being insensitive to the other partner? Well, number one, some real simple things that you can do is you can look at it. And I suggest writing down a list of like three people that you've let go out of your life because you were creating this relationship instead and didn't seem to have the connection or the energy for them. And then three things you eliminated from your life that you used to enjoy and make the demand that within the next week, you're going to contact at least one of those people if you still like them and want to. And you're going to do at least one of those things. And feel free to invite your partner to come along with you. You know, it's like one of the things I used to cut off was cycling. You know, I'd be in a relationship and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore because she doesn't like to cycle and she won't go as far and go as fast. So I'm just not going to do it. And when I got this information, I was like, I literally went out and bought a bike because I realized I was doing this too. I literally went out and bought a bike and I brought the bike home and she's like, wow, you got a bike. I'm like, yeah, remember I used to cycle? Remember I used to love that? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, I'm going to start again. I'm like, I would be happy to get you a bike too. Do you want to do it? And she was like, no, not really my thing. I'm like, okay, are you okay if I go do it? And she's like, yeah, I always wondered why you stopped. And in my head, I was like, because I'm an idiot. That's why I stopped. And so the other thing about this is recognizing that we need to have input energy from outside the relationship. And what most people do in an effort to create an intimate relationship with their precious, you know, they cut off their connection with everyone and everything else out there. And they expect this person to be the sole source of everything. And then they have to be the sole source of it for their partner. And what we actually require is expanding the circle, expanding the horizon so that we can get these things that give us energy and then we have more energy when we go do them, like me going cycling, for example. And then we come back and we're more alive and we don't need that person to fulfill that anymore. And it actually creates a greater relationship. Wow, that's a powerful idea. And it seems so obvious when you speak about it, but I know so many people are doing that unconsciously. I've done that. I've given up things for my relationship. And I question now that I really have to give that up. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast, you might have some similar questions. So in the book, you give an example, right? You say, for example, you like to go jogging, but instead of jogging, you spend the time with your partner to show him or her that you really care. You're essentially saying, I love you so much that I would give up this thing that is valuable to me so I can be with you. This is one of the ways you divorce you to create an intimate relationship. Let's go back to that jogging example. What if we come back from work? and our partner wants to, you know, have dinner together. 
and we like our post-work run. How do we reconcile that? How do we have that conversation without seeming insensitive or seeming like a jerk? Well, you have to be willing to seem like a jerk without being a jerk. In other words, in a sense, it's not really up to us whether somebody's going to see us as a jerk or not. But you have to realize that at least one of you in the relationship has to have your back. And hopefully it's you. You know what I mean? But what I found is it's interesting because we have to realize we're energetic beings. So it's the energetics behind all of this stuff that really determines how it shows up for us. And nobody ever talks about that. So for example, let's say you've been cutting off all kinds of things, jogging, friendships, whatever, going on trips with your guy friends or whatever. And so you're building up this level of resentment and she may not even know about it. Who knows? Every relationship is different, but let's give that as a scenario. And then when you come home and you want to jog, you're going to deliver that with an energy that belies that resentment that's underneath the surface, which is why we have to not let the resentment build up. So if we do that, you know, we're going to come home and we're already going to be kind of cranky because we've cut off so many parts of what was valuable to us without realizing it usually, which is why even having this conversation can be helpful for people. So then when we deliver that conversation about, I really need to go jogging. I mean, um, hey, you're making dinner. Is it okay if I go jogging while I do? I'll come back and help with dinner after, you know, like it's a different energy that we present when we've been building this up. And what we need to realize is before we have a conversation with somebody that we care about, and I would say all conversations, we need to get to the place where there is no charge in our world, where we're not trying to be right, where we're not trying to be wrong, where we're not angry, and where we're actually just there making an acknowledgement of something that's come up for us and a request for, hey, how can we do this so it works? Because I know a lot of people that don't do that in relationship. I'm sure we both do. I'm sure everybody does which is why I talk about all this stuff as a different possibility for what we could choose. Because if we would, if we would get over the charge, get over the anger and the upset first, and that's why we have some of the tools in the books that we do, so you can do that. But if we would do that, then we would come at them and go, sweetness, you know what? I adore you so much. And I realize I haven't been jogging and it used to make me so happy. And you notice how I'm kind of getting bigger around the middle. And um, can we talk about a way that this might actually work so I could do the jogging that I really like? That's a different conversation, but that's also a conversation where you're inviting them to contribute to the conversation and contribute to the solution. And then with that conversation, your relationship gets greater. I see. That's a really good example. And thank you for making that distinction. Now, I want to go into another curious thing about your book. You use clearing statements in your book, and I'm talking about return of the gentleman. For example, throughout the book, you use the following clearing statement, right and wrong, good and bad, POD and POC, all nine, shorts, boys, and beyonds. It almost sounds like a magical prayer, right? Tell us about that because that's fascinating. What is a clearing statement? What it is, it's a way of changing any fixed point of view you have in your life, any limited point of view you have in your life without having to visualize and go back to the moment where it started and unwind it and unwrap it and do all of these things that a lot of us who've done any form of psychology, any form of energetic work have learned to do to a certain degree. What this does is it takes it, puts it into one sentence so that when you choose to change a point of view, you ask for whatever that point of view is and everything around it. You run that clearing statement and it quite literally goes back to wherever you created that point of view in the first place, whether it was last week 
whether it was when you were in childhood, whether it was some other lifetime, if you believe in that, doesn't really matter. And you don't have to believe it. This is the other thing about it. I call it the magic wand. And for me, Pock and Pot are like the superheroes of consciousness. Because what they do is it changes where we've got a polarized point of view in place, a positive or negative, a right or wrong, changes where we have a judgment about something. And we all know there are lots of points of view that we have right now that we bought when we were kids. If we just get the energy of the way it's showing up now and say, hey, will I let this go now? Use that clearing statement thing and it goes back and changes it. These clearing statements that you pepper your book with are really about healing a belief system that we have taken on, typically at a younger age. I would say healing, and I would say also dynamically changing. So let me explain that. So the POD and POC that you mentioned stands for POC and POD. POC is going back to the point of creation of the thoughts, feelings, and emotions present whenever you created a limited point of view and asking it to dissolve. POD is the other side of that, where you take a possibility and you twist it into a limited point of view. It's a way of getting rid of the limited points of view that we have. And so Puck and, and Pot again so, stands for point of creation, point of destruction, point of creation. Point of, but why? What's going on there? Why are those words significant? That one statement is short for about six and a half pages of material. It's been around about 30 years at this point. And the evolution of it was Gary Douglas, the founder of Access, you know, this body of work came into his world. So he started doing it and he didn't have very many tools But what he realized was if he could ask to go back to the point of creation of where something started, it would most often change a lot more dynamically than if he just worked with what was present right in front of him. And so he used to do it through visualization and other energetic stuff. I don't even remember. I wasn't around at that time. And what he realized was he could do it by asking for it. You know that weird asking you shall receive thing that they hid in the Bible so nobody believes it's real? Well, (laughs) he actually asked and he started realizing it would actually change things even more dynamically than when they went through this whole process. And then all these other parts of what was holding limitation in place and stuck started presenting themselves. And so he started adding them to the point of creation and point of destruction. And so, for example, clearing statement is right and wrong, good and bad, pock and pod, all nine, shorts, boys, and beyond. The right and the wrong, the good and the bad are the judgments, both good and bad about whatever it is that you're clearing. Because judgment is one of the biggest killers we have. And the weird part is your good judgments are often even more sticky for you than your bad judgments. Because when you decide you have something good, you're less willing to change it. When you have something bad, you're like, at least you're willing to change that, right? So another example would be, let's say someone's feeling lonely, okay? Someone's feeling unloved. Another example would be, in every situation where I'm feeling unloved and lonely and unnoticed or unappreciated, right and wrong, good and bad, pot and pock all nine shots, boys and beyonds. Yep. And the other way of saying it is everything that'll get the energy of it, because once again, I say we're energetic beings. It's like when we have a lightness, that's what we really like. But a lot of times we have these weird things that we can't even put into words, which is where this thing is dynamically brilliant. Because let's say you're around somebody and you're like, oh, they don't love me, but you can't even put all the words to what that is. Get that energy and go everything that allows that to exist. Right and wrong, good and bad, pock and pod, all nine, shorts, boys and beyond, or pock and pod, pock and pod, pock and pod, pock and pod. That's interesting, but isn't that focusing on the negative energy? Aren't you supposed to be focusing on the positive energy? Oh, yeah, but how well does that work? And this is a crucial paradigm shift here. Here's what I've noticed. When people just focus on the positive, what happens is if they still have the negative in their point of view, 
or if they still have the limited in their point of view, they throw out the negative kind of like space debris. They try to make it meaningless because, no, I'm going to be positive and this is going to work. And what happens is eventually it rains down on your head like space debris eventually one day when you least expect it. So this is a paradigm shift in that we're not focusing on the positive. We're not avoiding the negative. We're staring the negative in the face and the limited in the face and going, buh, bye. Because it's only when we have a positive and a negative point of view that we're limited, which is what the Pock and Pod do. They ask to turn the polarity of it. So rather than positive and negative, now you get just to be. And you can actually be present with everything. So we were talking about the art of being a gentleman, and we've gone completely into deep spirituality. <laughs> but I love that. I love how this conversation has flipped. But I had to ask you about that. It was so intriguing. Now, the closing bit of that statement is all nine shorts, boys, and beyonds. What is yeah. that? Okay, so the all nine is nine layers and nine different ways of saying this that are designed to get the biggest scoop of poop out of the way for every scoop we take because we know if we get enough poo out of the way, we're going to find the pony called you under there somewhere. Now, I was part of developing those nine layers. I don't even remember what they are, but it's been run so many times that they're inherent as part of the energy of it. You know, the different aspects of how we limit stuff. Shorts, it's short form for the punishments, the rewards for it, and what we've made meaningless and meaningless about it. And that was what I was saying about when you try to focus on only the positive and you make the negative meaningless, eventually it rains down on your head like space debris. So we're undoing all of those aspects of it also, once again, just by asking for it. And then the boys are these things called nucleated spheres. And it's a lot easier to say boys. But this is where if you've ever done any clearing work where they said you have to peel the layers of the onion to get to the core of the issue and you peel and you peel and you peel and all you get are tears. And then it feels like one layer goes away and you're so excited. And you're like, yes. And within three minutes to three days, it comes back. That's because it's actually not an onion. It's an energetic structure designed to maintain that limitation in place. So you never get to the center of it to unlock it. So all the onions that you've been peeling that were actually nucleated spheres that are this weird thing that keeps it repeating over and over and over, will you destroy and uncreate it, please? Right and wrong, good and bad, pot and pock, all nine, shorts, boys, and beyond. Now, I know that thing sounds weird, but I'm telling you, it has been a crucial element in literally changing the points of view that don't allow us to have a different possibility. Now, the final word, beyonds, what does that imply? Beyonds is, have you ever gotten a bill that was like 10 times what you thought it was? Or you gotten a tax notice and you go, ah! that's beyonds. And there are beyond words, sensations and feelings and emotions that we get that certain things bring up and they take us totally out of being present. And now we're like not present. We don't know where we are. We're hyperventilating. That's also part of the clearing statement. So all of these things get cleared every time you run the clearing statement, which is part of why it's so effective, because it's not just changing the point of view, it's changing all of the structure around the point of view that keeps that point of view showing up in your life. Okay, so I want to read one from your book. Everywhere I'm not willing to mess up and everywhere I'm not willing to be wrong, destroy an uncreated please times a godzillion, right and wrong, good and bad, POD and POC, all nine shots, boys and beyonds. So the first part was yeah. the belief. 
And then you go to the clearing statement. So again, I just want to unravel this. Now, by the way, our audience is really sophisticated. The Mind Valley audience is probably one of the smartest and most sophisticated personal growth audiences on any podcast. So they get this stuff and they've been exposed to it from multiple teachers. So a lot of people will get it, but I'm curious to understand how you interpret it. So you said, reading out from your book, destroy an uncreated please times a godzillion. Who are you saying please to in your mind? Are you okay. speaking to your soul? Are you speaking to a higher power? Well. In that particular one, it's me writing that to them. So I'm asking, hey, will you please destroy and uncreate this to the reader? And when I say destroy and uncreate, you know, going back to this idea that we're actually energetic beings, destroy is taking the structure that is like this brick wall standing in front of you that you can't get around and putting a wrecking ball through it. And then uncreate is taking that energy because we're the only ones with enough energy to limit ourselves and hold a limitation in place. So it's taking that energy that you could use for creation and pulling it out of holding in place those walls so you now have it for creation. So it's destroy and uncreate, meaning undo where the creative energy is going into limitation. And realize this is sort of an introductory level of it that people can get. For a lot of people, it's their first exposure. But it's like any of those things that you have wanted to change. You know, where you're on your way to a business meeting and you start freaking out for some reason, like, wait a minute, what's going on? You know, or you're going out on a date and you start feeling weird, like you don't really want to go. And you're like, wait a minute, but I really love my wife. I really like this person, whatever. What you do is you can get the energy and go pock and pod all that shit. And you can say it a few times, pock and pod, pock and pod, pock and pod, pock and pod with the awareness that it works. Now that you've heard this clearing statement a couple of times. And see if it starts to change. The worst that can happen is it won't change. So this is going to sound so strange to so many people listening, but I've seen uh -huh. clearing statements work. <laughs> and so those of you who are listening, I really want you guys to try this out. Let's see how this works. So we state the belief. So for example, a belief might be people don't trust my ideas. People think I'm stupid. That might be a belief, right? And you would say, destroy and uncreate it all, please. Right and wrong, good and bad. POD and POC, all nine shorts, boys and beyonds. Would that be a correct way of using it? I just need to modify it a little bit because one of the things about that is because we can't change other people with it. So when we talk about other people have that point of view, what I would do is go everything that makes people not trust me and everything that makes me believe that I'm not trustworthy, destroy and uncreate all that. And then if you're not OCD like I am, you could do the short form of the clearing statement, which is just pock and pod. And you say it a few times, pock and pod, pock and pod, pock and pod, pock and pod, and see if it changes. I've found that the more I run it the long way for many years, and I started noticing that, like in that case, everything that doesn't allow people to see the brilliance of my ideas, destroy and uncreate all that. But we also have to get us in it. Everything that doesn't allow me to see the brilliance of my ideas, destroy and create all that. I see. That's fantastic. Your book is Return of the Gentleman. That's what we started out with. The website <laughs> is accessconsciousness.com. Fascinating. It is amazing, this organization that you've built and the sure amount of classes and seminars and facilitations. How many facilitators do you say you guys have now? Just shy of 10,000 at different levels of the work. 10,000. That's incredible. Is there a book or a body of work of yours where people can learn more about these clearing statements? Actually, several of the books that we have, I have them in it. We have Return of the Gentleman. There's another book I wrote called Being You, Changing the World. And if somebody wanted to sort of dive in and get a bunch of tools to change all kinds of stuff, but also the sort of energetic journey to go on, 
that would be the one that I would recommend. And it's being you changing the world. That sounds fascinating. I'm going to pick that up right now. Thank you so much, Dane. This was a um, strange interview, but a beautiful interview. It started out in one direction and it went on to something esoteric and mystical, but I love that kind of stuff. So thank you for that treat. And guys and girls who are listening, you can check out Dean's work in Return of the Gentleman and Being You, Changing the World. And the website where you can learn about Dane's work is drdanehere.com. D-A-I-N, that's Dr. D-R-D-A-I-N-H-E-E-R.com. So thank you so much for joining us. And those of you who are listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave a review and mention Dane's name in the review so we know that it came from this conversation. So thank you, guys. I'll see you again on our next episode. And thank you, Dr. Dane. Thanks, Christian. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.